Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Welcome again. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor, and I am glad that you're here for our new series called This Is Us, and uh, we're taking sort of a behind-the-scenes look at family and relationships. Someone sent me, when I tell people I'm talking about a subject like this, people always send me funny stories. One, I, I think I had heard before, but I thought it was great. Uh, a little boy and a little girl are playing in a, in a preschool, and the little girl says to the little boy, let's play house. He says, sure, what do you want me to do? She says, I want you to communicate your feelings. <laughs> he says, what? What does communicate your feelings? She says, perfect. You can be the husband. The, uh, <laughs> and so uh, what we're going to do is we're not going to sit around and communicate our feelings today. But we're going to look at uh, those things that are a little more complex in family dynamics and relationships. It's not uh, particularly on parenting or anything like that. It's, it's some of those issues that can be a subtext that uh, often can be challenging uh, for us, or we don't know what to do uh, at maybe this stage of our life, and we're going to look at a bunch of stuff the next few weeks. I think you're going to find it, uh, I hope you'll find it helpful uh, and interesting as well, and, and learn, too, uh, from God's Word. And today, what I want to do is I want to uh, look at a subject which is really near and dear uh, to my heart, not because I like it, uh, because I've been impacted by it, and that's uh, anxiety. And uh, you can think of anxiety in terms of fear. Uh, they're, they're related. They're not, they're not necessarily the same thing. I'll use them uh, as an interchangeable terms at times. Anxiety is more this general sense of, of restlessness. Sometimes we can't identify what it is. Uh, and it's based uh, in fear. I, I was raised in a family uh, where anxiety was predominant. And uh, not in a way where like, oh, you know, we're worried about will Ben do well on his test or something like that. Uh, that was not our issue. But just this, over, uh, this overwhelming sense of anxiety. In my family, it's a lot of chemical issues, and uh, so we think when they came out with Prozac, that was a gift from Jesus. Uh, in fact, we, we needed like a Zoloft salt lick in the middle of our living room is what we needed. Uh, and, and sometimes you can use, uh, God, God will enable people to discover things like that that can help us deal with anxiety. Uh, but there's also our personal reaction. One doesn't necessarily displace the other. Uh, we live in general beyond anxiety and just an atmosphere of fear. Uh, I, I remember I was uh, taking uh, a flight one time, and I shared this a number of years ago. Um, there was a little boy who was traveling alone, which for some reason it just freaked me out. And uh, he, was, he was going to see his dad. I found out the little kid's name was uh, uh, Charlie. And he was, I, I mean, he must have been... I don't know, five or six. He was just very, very young to be traveling 
uh, alone. And so uh, he's there and he's being sent on this airplane and uh, my wife and daughters are in one row. I'm there sitting next to Charlie and I'm getting so worried about it and I thought, okay, God has put me here. He's given me this assignment to help Charlie out. And I say, so I just talk to him. He's clutching his teddy bear and uh, he starts talking to me. And I said, hey, hey, Charlie, I know you're traveling alone and all of that. Uh, what you need to do is, uh, many people are nice, but you need to be careful. You need to be real careful of strangers uh, because sometimes people will act like they're nice, but they're not really nice. And I, I went on and on, and, and I said, you know, you want to talk to people in uniforms and people like that, but you need to be very, very careful of people. And I scared that poor child to death is what I accomplished doing. And I realized that I was enhancing any fear that he had or maybe didn't have instead of helping him deal with it. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at some of those behind the scenes anxiety and fear it, you you may or may not struggle with this but my guess is someone you know does and you may have a hard time actually engaging with them and you wonder why people just can't get over it uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of that as well as a biblical story the behind the scenes look the show This Is Us, uh, how many of you have ever seen the show This Is Us? You've seen that? It's taken America by storm. Uh, it really is a behind-the-scenes look at a family. You, and you see uh, from the flashback scenes, and uh, we don't usually have those in our life, unless you were raised in the 60s or 70s. <laughs> then you probably have lots of them. <laughs> but the, uh, most of us don't have flashback scenes in our life. And so we, uh, uh, but we see that, and we see the sort of the why behind the actions of this family. And there's a lot of fear and anxiety based on what's happened in the past and i don't know if we have do we do we did we have that uh, the jahari window do we have that up there for the screen if we had, uh, so i found this uh, so helpful uh, as we look at sort of why we do what we do there's uh, one area of our life it's sort of the open area the arena it's known to others and it's known to self uh, and we all, you know, that's sort of where we live. And then we have blind spots. Everyone has a blind spot that it's not known to us, but other people uh, know that uh, about us. And then there's uh, the, the sort of hidden area that no one else knows, and, but it, we know it. And that can be an area where a lot of anxiety is. And then sometimes they're an area that's not known to us and not known to other people. But again, it's that sort of background, it's that subtext in our life that causes uh, some anxiety. And, and we're going to get an example biblically of really some of that that was going on. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. If you're not a Bible person, uh, it is the first book of the Bible, and a, a lot of it tells uh, God's interaction with humanity, but also there's examples of decisions people make. 
And by the way, just because someone does something in the Bible, it's not necessarily endorsed. And in fact, often it's a cautionary tale. So we're, we're going to look at Abraham and his wife. And at this point, he's called Abram and his wife, Sarai. Later on, their names are, are changed. That's a whole different story. Uh, now, Abraham was known as someone of great faith. Uh, yet we're going to see him at one of those moments where he's making fear-based decisions, where he's letting his anxiety really control uh, his decisions. So uh, he's, God has called him, and he said, I'm going to give you this wonderful new land, and, and you're going to inherit this land. It's going to be a great place. Uh, yet he meets some people along the way that causes some fear. Uh, so first, let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 2. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, uh, your people, and your father's household the, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So that's great. You know, sort of God uh, is speaking to him. He has that promise. But yet, there are some challenges he faces along the way. Let's read, uh, go to the next passage. Uh, it says, Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. There, now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And he was, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Which, by the way, that's an awesome thing to say to your wife, right? This next part is not so awesome. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, she is hot. No, that, that's sort of in, in, the, in the Hebrew, that's what it says. Uh, they will say, this is his wife. Uh, then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. A lot of valor there, isn't it? He's like, hey, you know what? Things may get rough, so let's just pretend we're like, you know, barely know each other. Uh, and uh, you think, well, what, man, why would he do that? Because he was afraid. And think about what are some of the decisions you've made uh, that are anxiety-based decisions. I know people who have shipwrecked their career, their marriage, their finances, because they thought something was out there and they just had to do something and the reactions uh, was not as planned. Well, before you get on uh, Abram, or at this point, later Abraham, uh, we have to know that Sarah really didn't do uh, any better. She wanted a family, but it was not happening for her. And I know that can be difficult as I talk to families in the church who deal with that. Well, she had come up with a great solution. Here's what we read, Genesis 16, 1 through 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The, uh, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. And he said, yeah. No, just kidding. The, uh, and and it, perhaps I can build a family through her. So, so you get this sort of weird, right? This is Jerry Springer material. I mean, this is, uh, if you're, like, again, if I'm creating a religious book, I leave this stuff out. That's what I would do. It's so wacky that you're saying, that must have happened because it's almost embarrassing 
to include. But she's just, she's desperate. She feels like her life isn't going to matter. And so she, in a moment, makes a decision and it changes, well, literally the course of history. In fact, uh, if, if you're Jewish or a Christian or a Muslim, everyone looks back to Abraham. That's uh, very interesting. If you look at the majority of the earth, the people who have religious faith, the majority of the population of our earth looks back to this person, and this decision caused some conflict. And that conflict still is going on today. So as we look at this, and, and uh, I don't want to depress you too much, but I want to make my point, uh, is what do anxiety-based decisions do to us? One of the things it does is it robs my joy. Is uh, Usually when I'm making an anxiety-based decision, it's not because I am focused on the future. I believe in the good things that God has for me. It's quite the opposite. And really it causes me to miss my best future. Now, we'll never know what would have happened had Sarah just said, okay, God, you, you, had the, you made this promise that at some time I'm going to have a family and it's not happening, but I'm going to trust you. The, here's something that we need to know. God can work through our bad choices, yet often there's the consequences we still need to work through. And obviously, anxiety-based decisions, they damage my relationships. Uh, you can imagine when uh, Sarah and Abraham, he's, when he says, hey, let's just pretend we're not married. How do you think it went for them? Probably not really well. And it also challenges my integrity that uh, oftentimes I'm uh, tempted uh, to maybe change my moral compass. I've seen that, especially, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're looking for that special someone and it's just not happening, and now you're dating someone, and they're pressuring you to sort of change what you believe the proper boundaries are for sexuality, and uh, you, you say, well, maybe I just need to change. Maybe I just need to, to do that. And those decisions are understandable but the consequences uh, can be more than challenging. See, anxiety-based decisions, it unnecessarily complicates my life. Uh, we certainly see this uh, with Abraham and uh, Sarah. And God has a different way for us to go. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, uh, I, I've spoken on anxiety and fear in the past. In fact, when I first uh, became a pastor, uh, I did a sermon is how to live without fear. And I want to apologize to everyone because you can't live without fear. You're always going to be afraid of something. There's always going to be same, some anxiety. But you can control it instead of letting it control you. And now I know for some of you who are dealing with this on a, on a clinical level, and maybe it's gone into depression, 
There are, yes, you, I believe in medical help and good counselors, but our participation in the process is also part of it. For some of us, we just deal with the everyday kind of anxiety and fear. The first thing we, we can do to reduce that is to simply identify your fears. Uh, I went on a website called Phobia List, and there are 530 phobias uh, that you can have. Uh, I mean, everything from electrophobia, the fear of chickens, ecclesiophobia, the fear of church, uh, yeah, androphobia, the fear of men, animophobia, the fear of winds and drafts, maybe men who make winds and drafts, I don't know. My wife said it's the same fear. The uh, <laughs> zemiphobia, fear of the great mole rat. I didn't even know I had that one. And so we have, uh, we have all these uh, things that can cause anxiety. What is important for us seriously is to identify what that is. What's behind it? You might say, why do I go from relationship to relationship? How is it just it hasn't worked out. I, I know people who literally, uh, I, I've shared, you know, I love my mom. She passed away this year. Uh, she was married eight times. And uh, the, uh, you say, wow, why was she married eight times? Because she didn't live long enough for number nine because he was on the books. <laughs> and so the, uh, but it was, you know, sometimes we'll make the same decision over and say, why am I making those decisions? Again, I've talked to people who the fear of being alone has caused them to go into unhealthy relationships. Say, well, you know, I have a, an addiction issue, and uh, hey, those are real issues. You know what? There's fear based behind your addiction. If you struggle with drugs or alcohol, there's a fear of dealing with the emotion of maybe some of the painful things in your life. And so I understand why. I get it, but until you identify that, it's hard to move forward. Genesis 20:11. Abraham said, I've said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place. He said, it's not, these people are not spiritual in every sense, and they'll kill, kill me because of my wife. And so that, that was it for him. The Bible is uh, full of examples of, of people who have dealt with their fears. And then for us to move beyond that is we need to face our, our worst one. What do we do? How do we face our fears? And that's exactly the opposite of what we're taught, even when we're a child, right? You're, you know, you're send your kid off to school and, and hey, don't talk to strangers, uh, look, look both ways before you cross the street, and that's all. We don't say to our kids, hey, go have a risky day, <laughs> you know, hope it works out for you. No, we, we, what we do is we teach them to mitigate risk, and that's, that's helpful in many areas, but not when it's one of those behaviors that's really controlling our life. Uh, as I was thinking about that, uh, one of my greatest fears uh, is financial. So uh, I grew up in a household. My dad was a business guy, but he had 
a bunch of things happened. He was hit by a drunk driver and was disabled. And, and along with that, made some bad business decisions. And so uh, we went from when I was a child from uh, living it pretty well to just moving to apartment to apartment uh, because rent was an issue. And so I always had this fear of, of money. And it's interesting, when I became a Christ follower, uh, one of the things that, you know, after you become a Christ follower, they start talking about giving. And I'm like, okay, you're dealing with my worst fear in the world. And so I, I remember when I started not only giving, but tithing, which the Bible talks about, give your first 10% to the Lord. That was an incredible step of faith for me. And uh, this was long before I became a pastor. And I, I knew what I was doing at that point. I was saying, God, you are able to provide for me. And God would, see, when, when we take our fears, when we identify them, and we give them to God, it's amazing what he can do. I mean, in, in, when it comes to relationships, finances, those are usually uh, big fears. And when we face them, write down and say, I'm not going to let it undo me. There's a guy a number of years ago, not at this church, another church where I served. Uh, I had one of those weird God moments. This doesn't happen to me very often. Uh, like some of you, God tells you to do stuff all the time. That doesn't happen to me much. It's like, God, I'll, you know, I'll get this impression, but I don't really feel like God is uh, telling me. There's this one guy in our, in our church, about six foot five, big guy, and he always looked at me like this when I preached. And so, you know, I, I tried to look away from him. He always looked, he, he had a bit of an anger problem. I knew that. And uh, so one time I'm preaching, and this is a pretty, pretty large church, and I see him out there, and it's like God is saying, after the service, you need to walk up and you need to give John a hug. I'm like, you give him a hug, God. You can do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> One, I don't hug guys. I don't hug anyone. And I'm not going to hug him for sure. And uh, so it was like literally I got this impression. And, uh, and it was one of those... And so I'm sort of like struggling and like, okay, this is, you know, I, I, you know, I'm sure God can get someone else to hug this guy and I don't want to hug him. And so, uh, but it was one of those times where I was uh, uh, obedient and after service, uh, he came up usually to tell me how I could have done better, which I totally appreciate. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I, I just, uh, you know, told him, I said, hey, John, I'm just so glad you're here. And I gave him a hug. And he looks at me, he goes, thank you. Okay, and walks away. And then uh, he had, I'd helped him through some things before. Uh, and then he called me that night. And he says, okay, that settles it. I'm going to start tithing. <laughs> I didn't. So what was going on there? And so after the service, I want to give everyone a hug. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just feel Jesus is telling me to do it right now. Uh, I don't know what God was doing inside of him. But I knew that if, if I didn't get beyond my own fear and take a step, 
that I would never understand what a life of faith was like. And for some of you, you want a life of faith. You're just unwilling to take a step of faith. And until you take that step, you're not going to experience the very best thing that Jesus has for you. And I know it's time. I mean, I am... I am not the kind of person who's just out there all the time. That is not me. But every time I do that, I know that God is faithful and God shows up. And I I tell you, I'm so thankful of what God has done in my life, in my family. You know, my uh, no one in my family has ever stayed married. Uh, And it's there have been times when God has told me, it's like you. I've done something wrong, or at least my wife thinks I did something wrong. <laughs> and, and hey, don't just just own it. And I, I don't know. I want to, you know, I don't want to own it. I want to say, well, I may have done something wrong, but let me tell you all the bad things you did. Why I did it wrong? Which, by the way, is not very effective. I found out. <laughs> and I'm like, no, God, I am gonna, I am gonna risk. Being hurt, not being in control, because I want to follow you. And the consequence has been a great marriage. And you will say, well, are you a great guy? Yeah, I'm awesome. No, uh, I'm pretty obedient. I want to listen to what God says, and I believe that life is better when I do it. Okay, there's, there's a great story in the Bible. Uh, if you're a Bible person, I didn't grow up in church, so I never heard these stories until I was an adult. And uh, Jesus is out there. He's, he's on this, this uh, uh, lake. There's a, his disciples are in a boat. And Jesus comes to them, and they don't realize it's Jesus. They see this guy walking on water. Uh, and it, people are like, oh, what did they do? They freaked out because no one walks on water. People drown. That's what happens when they try to walk on water. And so they're like, this is a ghost. And they see it's Jesus. And Jesus, he said, for, uh, Matthew 14, 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And then if you know anything about that story, what happens later is uh, he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. And I have heard so many sermons. See, Peter, he took his eyes off Jesus and he sunk. I'm like, well, what about those other yahoos who never got out of the boat? He tried. He took a step. And sometimes... Your anxiety and your fear is going to feel like you're sinking. And at that moment, you're going to understand the power and the presence of God in your life when you trust him in a real way. When when it's at that point, I've talked about things today like forgiveness, like your money, your sexuality. And the thing that made you most mad is the, the exact thing where you need to be radically obedient to Jesus Christ to experience the full life he has for you. The area that was the most rubbed, that's the area. It's not the other ones. That's the area where it'll be transformational. 
I wish I didn't have to say this other one, but this is so true with anxiety, is if you want to gain ground, you need to stop feeding your dark side. A lot of our anxieties are based in, in fear, fear of our, our own sin being found out. The Apostle Paul, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting when uh, I, I hear, you know, I told you I've been traveling a lot, have the opportunity to coach a lot of good leaders, which is sort of fun, and uh, people will go, oh, yeah, you know, they'll talk about some Christian, and they'll say, yeah, but he's not a very good person. Christianity is not about being a good person. Hopefully you turn out, but Christianity is we are sinners and we need a savior. Christianity is recognizing the depth of our sin and that I can't do it on my own and I need a savior. You know, we buy into sometimes sort of a therapeutic and, and I'm all for therapy, you know that. I've been through a lot of it. And so, but the view of God, that God just wants me to be happy. That's, you know, before the fall of humanity, that was God's primary goal. You know what he wants? He wants to redeem your life. He wants to take the most broken area of your life and bring healing and hope to it. And hopefully that'll be a pain-free process for you. I have not found it to be that way. The Apostle Paul says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is there right with me. And so he, he describes this process of struggling. The question is, not do we have struggles, but what do we do with it? One of the things that, that we have embraced as a church, one of our core values is we have what we call a low shame level. And uh, that can be confusing depending on sort of what your religious background. Uh, and so maybe you say, oh, does that mean, you know, uh, there's no such thing as anything bad or sin? No, no, we, we really believe the Bible. We're, we take it as seriously as you would find in any church in Seattle or the east side. I don't think you'll find anyone who, who takes this more seriously. But, we, but what we also believe is there's no healing in hiding. We also believe that if we try to just put on airs and pretend that nothing's going wrong in our life, that we'll never experience the very best life in Jesus Christ. Because when there's a low shame level, there's a high transformation level. I've seen it again and again in our church. It says, the wisest man who ever lived besides... Jesus said this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So what we're going to do is we're going to have everyone come forward and confess their sin. No, just, we're not going to do that. Trust me, I don't even want to hear it. So the, uh, I'm not kidding. So uh, who knows, though, does someone, does someone who loves Jesus and they love you, do they know you? Does someone, do people know the real you or the image of you? One of the most transformational moments in my life was uh, back, uh, there's been many, but one time I remember in my 20s when I was struggling with things and 
just making some bad decisions. And I finally found someone who, uh, I said, I just got to tell you what's going on. And it was one of the most freeing, liberating times in my life. And it will be for you as well. Well, number four, we expand our circle. People uh, who are doing life uh, well do life with friends and not just acquaintances. You know, the three, the friends that can call you at three o'clock in the morning. The friends that you can call at three o'clock in the morning. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. This means we take our next right step. We reach out. We persist. In fact, it's one of those areas where, again, for me, I can tend to be a private person. And I remember the first time I joined a, a growth group at a church in college. And I, it, honestly, my first one or two wasn't that great. But then I kept on trying. And I, and I found a group of people who helped me live life as God intended it to be for me. And maybe that would be it for you. Uh, we have that all the time. In fact, I, I wanted you to just uh, hear a story of a couple who was going through some relationship difficulties. And they... They took a step, one of the six, seven hundred people who've been through our re-engaged marriage ministry. Take a look at the screen. My name's Tim. My name's Jadina. And we've been attending Timberlake for almost a year. When we first met, uh, we first started getting to know each other when we were lab partners in chemistry class, and wow. <laughs> He told me that when I first walked into the classroom, he said he was ready for marriage right there. Throughout, especially the beginning of our marriage and throughout our marriage, I was very quick to anger. It's something I I picked up during childhood. Uh, I didn't have a very strong father figure, um, especially after my parents got divorced. And we had a few really (laughs) bad fights uh, before attending re-engage. Really, throughout our, first, our journey of being married, um, I would get angry a lot, and I would be very quick to, to yell. And, and, and when we got married, we originally thought everything would change right away. We're new Christ followers, we were married, and now everything's just going to work out. But that's uh, further from the truth. Although we were now following Jesus, we didn't really take action on it. Yeah, I would try to change him because I thought, oh, you don't, you didn't have a good upbringing, good father figure. Let me help you. I can change you. I know what to do. But no, I needed to let other men, other good men change him and him change on his own and just work on changing me. I had a lot of old habits, uh, old routines, old addictions that were really holding me back personally. And uh, I had to really learn to let go. And it wasn't until we started attending Timberlake until we figured out our next right steps. We heard about re-engage through Timberlake, and uh, Ben had been talking multiple weeks in a row about about re-engage, this great marriage ministry, and um, then we saw some testimonies from a few different couples in the church that also attended re-engage. We just wanted to get better, so if this is the answer, it's worth a shot. There's always room for people to grow and change and become better and to incorporate 
Jesus into their marriage more. For me, Jesus is the example of how to treat others properly, how to have grace with others, and especially in marriage. Uh, it's something we definitely needed. For me, Jesus has been my source of strength and acceptance. Before we became Christians, I would look to him for everything. Like, you need to be my rock. You need to be my provider. You need to be my everything. You need to be emotionally stable. You need to make me happy. But then after I became a Christian, like I realized that Jesus is my source for all that. And it's, it's not that I look to him to change and be my everything, that Jesus is already there and is my everything. As of today, we're five months pregnant. We're really excited for in the future to be a good example for our kids and what a good marriage should look like. And that good marriage wouldn't be possible without the love of Jesus. That was awesome. Thanks for sharing your story. <laughs> Behind dealing with any fear, any struggle, any anxiety is our fifth point, and that's claiming bigger promises. It's claiming God's promises for our life that, that he who is in me is greater than anything I face in this world. 23rd Psalm, one that whether you've been in church or not, you've probably heard this phrase where David, and this is not David the little shepherd boy, this is David the old man saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And the funny thing is, there were times in his life where he did lack, where he did not have what he wanted, what he needed, when he felt like everything was going to fall apart. But he said, this will not be the final outcome of my life. The Apostle Paul heard the words of Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.